The Way Out Podcast, episode 92. My name's Megan. I am the creator and host of the Addictionary Podcast that I host with my lovely dad here, Bob. Um, I'm a person in long-term recovery from opioid addiction who somehow made it out of the depths of that darkness and decided that uh, I had the capacity and the ability to go back to school, get a master's degree, to become a therapist, still thought I wasn't done learning and, and really uh, healing myself. And I was fortunate enough to learn a lot of skills that actually really helped me through that program. And now I'm in school to be a clinical psychologist um, and, and will hopefully be graduating from that program in three years from now. And my name will be uh, Dr. Megan. I had told myself so many times on so many different dates I was never going to use again. And uh, the best decision that I ever made was, was when I really decided to take this thing seriously. I didn't tell myself that. And I just moved on and I just moved on and moved on and I kept moving and I never fucking looked back. It will be six years though this summer. My name is Bob, um, Megan's dad. I'm her sidekick. I'm her Ed McMahon. I feel free since I started telling these stories because I've kept them inside so long. I grew up in a housing project with nine kids. I, I was in four reform schools before I was 17. Uh, I ended up doing time at, you know, at later on in life. I, 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 think I might have been bipolar. I just didn't know what was wrong with me. So I tried all kinds of drugs to try to, you know, deal with my rage. I had, I had a serious chip on my shoulder as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. always in fights, always in trouble. And then in the 60s, I found <laughs> I found LSD and that helped me out, believe it or not, a lot. Uh, you know, and then from there, it was into the, the beauties and the, the Zoxins and everything else. And then it led into uh, led into the cocaine, the heroin. I ended up doing time for you know moving a lot of weight of cocaine. I was you know back and forth to Florida. I, I was uh, I was running wild for a long time. And then I in December of '89, I, I got busted and I did a few years and get out and opened another business and was doing well for, I don't know, five years and then slipped again, started getting high again. It's been on and off with me my whole life, except for the past 20 years. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out, sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out Podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow the Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm your host, Charlie L. This week, I'm 
absolutely ecstatic about bringing you the podcasting duo Megan and Bob from the Addictionary Podcast. Megan and Bob are father and daughter and are both persons living in long-term recovery from addiction. Their recovery stories are both inspiring and instructive, demonstrating through their lived experience there are many pathways to meaningful and long-term recovery and that there truly is no substitute for living your truth. Listen up. Megan, Bobby, welcome to the Way Out Podcast. I can't thank you both enough for taking time out of your busy schedules, living recovery out loud to be on the Way Out right. Podcast. <laughs> thank you for having us. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, we appreciate it. Thank yes, you. Charlie, thank Why don't you guys introduce yourselves to the Way Out Podcast audience uh, share a little bit about who you are today and uh, 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 introduce your podcast because I love it. I love the name of the podcast. It's fantastic. You guys are killing it from a podcast perspective and uh, we need as uh, uh, much love uh, uh, for uh, uh, recovery podcasts as possible. So share a little bit about yourselves and your podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Charlie. So my name's Megan. I am the creator and host of the Addictionary Podcast that I host with my lovely dad here, Bob. Um, I'm a person in long-term recovery from opioid addiction who somehow made it out of the depths of that darkness and decided that uh, I had the capacity and the ability to go back to school, get a master's degree, to become a therapist, still thought I wasn't done learning and, and really uh, healing myself and I was fortunate enough to learn a lot of skills that actually really helped me through that program and now I'm in school to be a clinical psychologist um, and, and will hopefully be graduating from that program in three years from now and my name will be uh, Dr. Megan That's amazing <laughs> Megan, Megan that is amazing, how old are you right now? I'm 30 I'll be, well I'll be 33 this month Fantastic. And how long have you been in, do you have a, do you have a sobriety date? So it's funny. That's a good question. If I had to guess, I would say July 7th of 2012. But the truth is, is, um, I had told myself so many times on so many different dates, I was never going to use again. And, uh, the best decision that I ever made was, was when I really decided to take this thing seriously. I didn't tell myself that. And I just moved on, and I just moved on, and moved on, and I kept moving, and I never fucking looked back. So That's, the truth I is, love that. I really don't have a date, but if I if I had to say, that would be the date. So it, it will be six years though this summer. Uh, and that's all in a row, right, Megan? Like that's nights and weekends, and yeah. you know, um, like six years of continuous recovery coming up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And in the in the kind of early part of that, so like the year leading up to that, it, that wasn't the case. But um, fortunately for me, you know, I, I really, really gave it 110%. And uh, like, you know, we'll probably get into it in a little bit, but Vivitrol sure. was, was kind of my saving grace. And I want to, yes, and we will definitely get into that. Uh, uh, Bob, you're on. Introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Bob, um, Megan's dad. I'm her sidekick. I'm her Ed McMahon, you know, Jolly. <laughs> she pulled me into this, and she's making me tell stories that I never told anyone in my life. And, you know, it's I feel free since I started telling these stories because I've kept them inside so long. I grew up in a housing project with nine kids. I, I was in four reform schools before I was 17. Uh, I ended up doing time at, you know, at later on in life. I, I, I 
think I might have been bipolar. I just didn't know what was wrong with me. So I tried all kinds of drugs to try to, you know, deal with my rage. I had, I had a serious chip on my shoulder mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, mm -hmm. always in fights, always in trouble. And then in the 60s, I found, <laughs> I found LSD, and that helped me out, believe it or not, a lot. Uh, you know, and then from there it was into the the beauties and the, the zoxins and everything else, and then it led into uh, led into the cocaine, the heroin. I ended up doing time for you know moving a lot of weight of cocaine. I was you know back and forth to Florida. I, I was uh, I was running wild for a long time, and then I in December of '89 I I got busted and I did a few years and get out and. Opened another business and was doing well for, I don't know, five years and then slipped again, started getting high again. It's been on and off with me my whole life, except for the past 20 years, you know. So, uh, I Bob, think I, I, want, I once heard somebody say that they identified as a what you got a holic. <laughs> can, you, can you relate to that? Yeah, I just, so you, I like if you ask me what I was addicted to, I'd just say, well, man. Try to find something I wasn't addicted to. That's right. To. What, exactly. What am I addicted to? What you got? Yeah. What, what, what you got? Just, just lay it out, you know? That's so, right. uh, but for the past 10, 11 years, uh, you know, I've been acting. I've been in the, I've done like 50 movies and I really found my calling. I, I've never been so happy. I, I just feel satisfied. I don't feel like I, I have to get high. I, I get high, you know, just working. I really enjoyed. Finally, I, I have a job that I, 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 you know, I've always heard of people saying, you know, I really love my job. I really love my job. Well, I, I never had that feeling. I was always in business. I thought making money was the key. I made a lot of, you know, I made good money, but I never really could say I'm looking forward to going to work the next day, you know, until I get into acting. And, and I really, really know what it's like to love your job and enjoy it. And, and that's my high now, really, you know, so. Uh, and I think in recovery, we find if in my humble experience, if I'm doing recovery right, I am finding the things that I am passionate about. I am finding my calling, as it right. were. Right. And I'm finding right. my truth. Right. If I'm right. if I'm if I'm just sober, maybe not. Right. Exactly. Right. right. But exactly. if I, but if I'm in recovery. Uh, then I truly believe we're finding our true selves through that process. Can right. you guys relate to that? Does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Once you find it, man, you're good, you know? Mm. You're good. It really, really, the way I describe it now in my recovery, it's like, you know, I've done so much work on myself, really not not in an effort to help myself. I mean, to in an effort to help other people, learn the skills that I, that I have now as a professional in the mental health field. And here I am thinking, oh, I'm going to take these skills and apply them to help somebody else. And little did I know I was helping myself. And I now describe it as, you know, the holes in my soul that were empty mm. and, and vacant mm. that led me to my addiction in the first place. I'm starting to fill those holes now and I'm finally at a place where I feel like I've done a good amount of work on myself where whatever I take in now I can actually give back and so it, it's very fulfilling it really is to be at that place. It, and it's a gift and it's a gift to be able to understand that the things that I need to do that are fulfilling for me also end up helping other people right exactly and that's where the magic is right when i find my calling and what i believe i'm called to do 
right? Exactly. And it's that, so true. That and that ends up being uh, something that really uh, uh, that helps people. Uh, that's absolutely the the uh, the spiritual truth uh, that we're all, I think, uh, really after. So. Um, Megan, tell me a little bit about, we, we understand that uh, uh, you're a person in long-term recovery from opioid addiction, and uh, I think a lot of our uh, listeners can uh, identify with that. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what the recovery process was like for you. Uh, what, what was different about this time right. versus the umpteen other times you had promised yourself over and over and over that you were going to quit what was yeah. the difference you know i really think there were there were a couple things one i had watched the years just fly by and i had had this deadline of like by the time i'm 24 i'm gonna be married with kids and i'm gonna be an upstanding you know citizen and have a real job mm. and all these things well 24 came and went and before you knew it, you know, a couple of years later, I, I'm in a position where I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. There's got to be a way that I can figure out how to get well and stay well. And I had tried multiple other times, either just cold turkey or um, using Suboxone or methadone or mm -hmm. trying 12-step meetings and all these different things that I was told that I needed to do in order to actually s sustain any success in recovery until I found this medication called Vivitrol. And um, the ironic part about that is I learned about that through my drug dealer. And it was probably the best thing that he ever gave me was this information about this medication that he was having success with. And, you know, I watched him go from this really miserable, unhappy, unhealthy person to somebody who was funny and happy and nice to be around and uh, working out and losing weight. And I'm like, what is going on here? And what are you doing? And he's like, you know, it's this, this Vivitrol shot. You should you should actually look into it. And I did. And I'm like, oh, my God, th I think this might be this actually might be the answer for me. And um, I looked into it and it's a long acting non opioid um, opioid blocking uh, medication that you get an injection once a month. And um, for me, it was it was really crucial because I desperately wanted to leave that life behind. And I had tried so many times to do so, but I just couldn't get over the hump. I just couldn't figure out another way to live other than waking up every morning with the first thought of calling my drug dealer and have that be my day. And it was like depressing to not get up and make that phone call. It was like really hard to try and change my mind about, wow, I could do other things in the day. Okay, so that's the piece that Vivitrol gave me that nothing else could because it forced me. It was a forced behavioral change to break the daily habituation of the opioid use because once that block is in your system, from what I understand, maybe the carfentanil today is a little bit different because it's far more potent. Back when I was using, it was like right when fentanyl hit the street, so nothing was this excessively powerful. There, there was no way you were breaking through that blocker. And in the Got beginning, it. I did try. Got you know, it. I tried, and it didn't work. And And because of that, you know, I made the decision of like, okay, maybe maybe that's my saving grace. Like, maybe it's really time to leave this life behind. So it just forced me to not use the, the one drug that was desperately and, and tragically killing me. And so for you, Megan, it gave you the the, the shots 30 days. So it, you had to do something for 30 days different, right? Exactly. You had to figure something else out because even if you did attempt to get high, it wasn't going to work. Right. Exactly. And so it forced you for 30 days at least. Right. Uh, to make different decisions. 
And that 30 days for you, Megan, was enough to uh, start this new sort of thought pattern and give you enough, did it give you, what happened after that 30 days? Did it give you hope that you could continue to do it? What happened? So, Because you could not take the next shot, right? I mean, presumably 30 days comes up and you could just say, I'm not going to take the other shot. I want to get high, right? Exactly. And that's a really, really good question because not only did I start to have different thoughts and this medication is also you know, scientifically proven to decrease, if not extinguish, opioid cravings entirely, which is exactly what it did for me. So I didn't even have those cravings that I had to, like, fight tooth and nail, right? That's great. So I'm now having all these other thoughts. I'm doing all this other activity. I'm actually starting to feel good about myself, and I'm starting to actually build solid evidence for myself to say, wow, you can actually do this. Look it, you've done it 30 days now of no opioids. When is the last time in the last seven years that you've been able to do that? None. And so the hopelessness that I felt of like, wow, I'm never getting out of this hole. Well, I started to change that all around just in, in 30 days. And it gave you and hope. That, and it gave me hope. And the, the other piece to that is like the relief that I felt from knowing that I did not have to show up to this full-time job of being a drug addict mm-hmm. anymore. And all I had to do was put this power and control into some doctor's hands that was just going to give me this injection. I mean, that was, like, tremendous. It, it, it was like, okay, I can just, like, let somebody else do all the work here, and all I have to do is show up for the shot, and then I can actually go live a normal life? Like, it's this is just too good to be true. And you know what? It wasn't. It was my reality. And, and I stayed in that reality for three and a half years on that medication and been off of it for two and a half, and I've been able to sustain it. It was, it was truly uh, uh, just a life-changing opportunity that I had when I found out about it and the way that I committed to it. You know, you're right. I could have gone the other way, and, and I just felt like it was just, it, it just felt too good to not keep going and not just keep showing up for that next shot. So I did. And I think regardless of our recovery path, when we get that help, that's that's the essential ingredient, I think, in terms of being able to start to live in a different way and make different choices one day at a time. Exactly. Exactly. The hopelessness will, you know, We'll, we'll take you to your knees. And, and I think that's the power in being able to share stories and recover out loud is, is really to give somebody else hope. It's like, you know, I can still feel that level of hopelessness where I, where, where I really truly believe that being a slave to this drug was going to be the rest of my life. And, and you know, and it, it truly was around, it was, it was people that came into my life that I saw I had put a year, two years, three, five, ten years together. And I'm like, if they're doing it, uh, there's got to be a way for me to do it too. They're not that much different from me. And That's so right. it's powerful to be around people that have, you know, a lived experience and, and, and can give you, you can borrow their hope because you don't have any That's until right. I build my own. That's right. And I think it's really amazing too because, you, you know, Megan, you indicated that, look, the 12 steps just didn't click for me. They didn't work for me. And, um, uh, you were able to find a way to be able to recover um, uh, outside of the 12-step method. Now, the 12 steps saved my life, right? And uh, uh, I'm forever grateful for uh, the 12 steps, but that's because they worked for me, right? Right. Um, and, you know, one of the greatest things about the 12-step program is it, it, it is very clear that it doesn't believe that it's the only solution. Mm-hmm. It believes it's a solution. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, whatever works, right? right. It's like whatever works. That's and absolutely so, correct. Absolutely I mean, if somebody correct. can commit to, to something, I mean, that's all 
that's all that I would ever ask for. And so, you know, and the thing is too, is like pretty much every one of my best friends that are in, that are people that are in recovery are all, you know, 12 step affiliated. Right. Um, so I'm around it a lot and I really appreciate the philosophies and I find myself, you know, quoting, you know, 12 step phrases all the time. I, I think probably the biggest barrier for me at that point, and I think that if I found myself in a position now being older where I needed help in that way, um, maybe the 12 steps would actually work for me. Maybe developmentally and emotionally, I was just like too immature and didn't have enough social skills to really utilize that social component of those meetings. And, you know, being somebody with social anxiety as debilitating as it was for so long, it just it petrified me to sit in a room with other people and let them know my, my dark, dirty secrets and have to raise my hand and speak in front of a group. So... It, it was just really challenging for me to even be in the room and, and even not speak for for those reasons. So and so many people can identify with that, Megan. That 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 social isolation and anxiety, which is why I think podcasts are popular uh, from exactly. a, uh, from an addiction and recovery standpoint because you yep. can get some experience, strength, and hope, and um, not have to. Uh, um, uh, be tormented by um, you know debilitating anxiety which often accompanies alcoholism and addiction oh 100% I, I would say that's actually a big part of the reason why I started using in the first place and then found myself continuing to mm, use really absolutely the self medication of the uh, you know this makes me feel okay this makes me feel like I can you know, operate without fear and anxiety right, and all right. of those things. Bob, yep. tell me how your recovery came about. You said you've been in recovery for 20 years. How did that come about for you? Was it uh, uh, well a long time coming? Had, was there multiple attempts? It was multiple attempts, Charlie. I, you know, I, I had a uh, flooring business and I had, you know, installers that would come in and they they do the the labor you know i ran the store and most of my installers you know they were all getting high i mean they'd come in in the morning and you know they have an assortment laid out on the table of what they were going to do that day you know and uh I, you know it, i tried my hardest to find the right installers that didn't get high but there weren't any out there they were all getting high so i, I really had to i had no choice i had guys working for me that were getting high and i had to accept that and as hard as I tried to stay away from, you know, the drugs, if it's laid out, if, if it's so easily accessible, it, it, I just didn't have the, the, the willpower to turn it away. So I was, you know, I would get high. And I ended up just getting out of the business and getting, after a few friends died, you know, they actually OD'd. And it just, I said, I don't want to go that way. I just, you know, so I just... One day, I just decided I was getting out of the business after being in business for years. I had a prosperous business, and I just closed it. I gave the carpet away, threw it out on the sidewalk, gave it away, free carpet, and I get into acting. Don't ask me how I got into acting. I did. I made contacts when I was in jail with friends of Mickey Ward, and they were doing The Fighter. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I've done about 50 movies, and, and that's what I do now, and I... I I found my calling. I, I, but I had multiple attempts. Yeah, I, I, but it was always around me, Charlie. I owned a bar at one time. I would started drinking, and you know, then you, you you get drunk and you do a few lines to straighten out, and then you do some dope to come down off the coke, and it was just a, it was just went on like that for a long time, and you know, 
I don't know how I was able to run these businesses and getting high at the same time. I, I just don't know. How, I, I, I scratch my head thinking, you know, that I, how did I do it? You know, and, but I did it and, uh, I, I eventually pulled out of it. I don't know. After seeing a few friends die and, you know, I, I, I found myself alone. I wasn't hanging around with anyone. So I, I, I was, I stayed in the house most of the time to stay away from it, you know? Uh, and it really reminds me of the saying that, you know, uh, if you hang around the barbershop often enough, you're liable to get a haircut, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true, Charlie. Yeah. It's true, you know. So, and I'm not blaming anyone else, you know. I'm not putting any blame. It was me. But uh, it's, it's, if I wasn't around it, I didn't get high. So I stayed home for the for quite a few years. I didn't even go out, you know. And, uh, then once I get into the acting business, I, I found that, you know, I, I didn't need to get high. I could enjoy every day. I, I found something I really enjoyed to do. And if you can find that one thing, just that one thing that gives you that kind of joy, there'll be no need to get high, you know? That's yep. absolutely correct. And if you can be able to build a life that is satisfying in and of itself, then the allure and attraction and draw of drugs and alcohol become so much less. Exactly, it's exactly. It's a good way to put it. I and, like that. And the key is to find that one thing that really excites you, that really, you know, brings out your passion. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, sometimes it's right under your nose and you don't, you don't see it, but, you know, it's out there. Everybody, you know, has that one thing that they can find that, will give them the joy and the satisfaction and, and the trick is to find it find out what really makes you happy you know and it's pretty hard to find that when we are uh consistently numbing ourselves yeah, exactly that, and not even allowing ourselves to be able to experience our own emotions and what makes us tick you know there you go that's, there you go that's the that's... magic of it right if i'm constantly numbing myself right how in the world am i going to identify what i truly like what i truly don't and you know what i'm supposed to do in this world and that's absolutely been my experience yeah you don't okay. know you don't know because you, you you like you said you're numb you don't know until you get off the drugs for a while and how do you get off the drugs for a while long enough to you know to try to find your passion it's 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 like a catch-22, you know? No I stayed home it. for years and meditated and stayed home and, you know, I finally figured it out. It took years, but I finally figured it out, you know? So uh, I got to tell you guys a, a, an amazing story that you guys are going to appreciate because you're from Boston. and nobody, are you from, Is it Boston? It's got to be Boston, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a, a, a colleague of ours uh, that is from Boston... Um, uh, came uh, to the Twin Cities uh, here in Minneapolis and St. Paul okay? and he was uh, done uh, with work for the day and he was looking for a poker bar okay yeah. <laughs> you see do you, do you see where this is going yep. yeah okay. and, and so he asked where the poker bar was right <laughs> And they told them exactly where the polka bar was because there's actually a polka bar here in the uh, Twin Cities called uh, Nice Holidays. And he gets there and it's wall-to-wall uh, -wall accordions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he goes, ah, fuck my accent. 
That's just brilliant. That's just absolutely... Only in Minnesota, right, can yeah. uh, uh, a Bostonian end up in a legitimate polka bar uh, because nobody that's understood funny, that man. he was that's actually funny. trying to play cards. So there you go. <laughs> so tell me, guys, how did the inspiration come uh, about the Addictionary podcast? Uh, how long has it been in... Uh, I've been in production, and where did the inspiration come? This week's Recovery Revealed segment is brought to you by All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com. Would you like a medallion or coin from your favorite recovery program, hand-forged, into a beautiful ring? Go to AllRecoveryRings.com and choose from over 15 stunning styles, all hand-forged by expert craftsmen. What are you waiting for? Do like I did and get your very own recovery ring today. We'll be right back with the second half of my outstanding discussion with Megan and Bob from the Addictionary Podcast as we pause for this week's edition of Recovery Revealed, an opportunity to take a closer look at a particular aspect in this life in recovery. One of the keys to living in long-term recovery with any sort of peace and serenity is to begin to build a sober life that is both satisfying and rewarding. After all, what's the point of being sober if we're mired in misery and we dread waking up each and every day? It's so much easier to resist the temptation, draw, and allure of our old lives when the life we're living in recovery is a life we want to live instead of feeling like we are duty-bound to live the rest of our lives without drugs and alcohol and without happiness. Sobriety gives us the opportunity to begin to really recover our whole selves and to discover our interests and passions and then pursue them, which leads to a richer and more satisfying life. This is not to say that every day in recovery needs to be unicorns, and lollipops in order for meaningful and long-term recovery to be sustained. Part of living in long-term recovery is persevering through trying and difficult times in our lives without turning to our addictions. This is the yang to the yin of creating a better life for ourselves. Sometimes life is going to get lifey. We're going to endure loss and rejection. Relationships will end and people will leave this earth before we would have preferred. It's in these times. Gratitude is an indispensable tool in our recovery toolkit. Gratitude is a gift we can give ourselves anytime we choose. William Arthur Ward said of gratitude, Gratitude can transform common days into thanksgivings, routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. And one of my most beloved recovery authors, Melody Beattie, describes gratitude in this way. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. Regardless of the situation I find myself in, I have the choice to practice gratitude to thank the God of my understanding for the gift of recovery, for family, health, friendships, and this podcast. When I do that, 
I immediately feel a sense of peace and serenity that washes over me like a cool, calming breeze. It's a spiritual hug I give myself. Next time you feel like your life is getting far too lifey for your liking, give yourself your own spiritual hug and practice gratitude. Now back to the second half of my amazing discussion with the Addictionary podcasting duo, Megan and Bob. Listen up. Don't forget, the way we get the message out to those who still suffer is to give this podcast a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It's just been a real, real trip. I mean, my dad and I sit and have really, really awesome conversations, really thought-provoking intellectual conversations, and share our lived experience which people seem to find pretty informative and then we also just have a a blast you know my my dad tells some wild stories from his day and um and we have a real lot of fun doing it and we hear from really really great guests with awesome stories and we try to capitalize all types of different perspectives on what uh recovery can look like for different people and we share our perspectives but we love to have people that have different perspectives and and really it goes back to your kind of original point about the different pathways to recovery and really being able to highlight that for people to, to, to spread some hope. So I think we're in probably our fourth month now. Um, uh, the inspiration for the podcast really came from the guys from the Dopey Podcast, which uh, one of those guys is one of my very good friends. And uh, he told me about a show and I started listening and, um, and I started asking him like, hey, was it like really hard to start this? Like, how did you guys get going? I, I kind of think I might want to create one um, that's really different from you guys, but I would love like some feedback as to how I could get going. And they were more than willing to, to support me and, and point me in the right direction. And I told my boyfriend about it, and he came up with the name The Addictionary. And um, I literally was like, we just struck gold with that name. So I went and like bought the domain on a website. And like not not even like a month or so later there was like a really big organization that came out with a dictionary of words related to all things substance use and addiction and they called it the addictionary and i'm like oh no i'm like no 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 please no so so in any case we just said screw it we'll just still start a podcast and we'll call it this and i came up with the logo i drew it i sent it off to a graphic designer he made it come to life and um, you know, it's just been it's just been a real real trip. I mean, my dad and I sit and have really really awesome conversations, really thought-provoking intellectual conversations and share our lived experience, which people seem to find pretty informative, and then we also just have a a blast. You know, my my dad tells some wild stories from his day and um and we have a real lot of fun doing it and we hear from really really great guests with awesome stories and we try to capitalize all types of different perspectives on what uh, recovery can look like for different people. And we share our perspectives, but we love to have people that have different perspectives. And, and really, it goes back to your kind of original point about the different pathways to recovery and really being able to highlight that for people to, to, to spread some hope, you know? That's the idea. When we connect, you know, I connect and I, and I get hope by feeling like I'm not alone. Exactly. And feeling like, just like you, Megan, when, you know, by the way, you know you're a drug addict when your drug dealer gives you a tip. 
Yeah, it, it, and, 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 it tells you, yeah. and tells you, hey, uh, you might want to check out right. this, exactly. this medication that's right. going to drive right. your business exactly. directly away that's from correct. me. <laughs> that's correct. So you know you're a drug addict, drug addict win. Yeah, so so I love that. I just love it. Um, but that was hope, right? Yep. yep. Because 100%. this is a guy that was just as bad or worse than you that was able to recover and that's how we identify that's how we connect and that's how we we learn that it might be possible for us too it's absolutely how i was able to be in a place where i felt like i could recover because i identified with people that thought like i thought that felt like i felt that did what i did and they got better. Exactly. Right, right. And happier. And happier. And, and they it. were living really good lives. That's right, Megan. You know, for me, you know, it was about these people that had what I wanted. Right. You know, they had been where I had been and they had been where I was. But they made it out and they had what I wanted. Yep. They had this certain glow, this certain aura, this certain sense of peace. They were living lives that they wanted to live, of purpose and of meaning and of value. And I, and I wanted that. Yep. I wanted that desperately. And they were telling me that they no longer had the obsession. And I wanted that too because that obsession plagued me for 20 plus years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And even though I, uh, um, you know, there was a big part of me that doubted it, I didn't have any other options, right? So I just started doing what they did, right? And so that's why I think your guys' story is great because if you're hearing this out in, in way out podcast land, right? And you identify uh, with Megan's story or with Bob's story, right? You can start using some of their story to be able to uh, know that there's hope for you to be able to recover too, right? Absolutely. That Vivitrol might work for you and that it's worth looking into, right? That if at, the 12 the steps very didn't least, work, right? Not, right? Yeah, and I'm not saying, you know, we're not saying our way is, is going to be the right way for everybody, but I think it's amazing when we can hear from other people and just add one more tool to the Bingo. tool belt. Bingo. And just say, you know what? I have another option here. Now I have another option where I'm not as hopeless as I felt because I tried all these other ways and it didn't work. Well, guess what? There's one left that I haven't tried. Let me look into it. Whatever. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I use a, a, a collective sort of, you know, uh, I, I, I was in therapy for uh, uh, 18 months uh, uh, at the uh, outset of my recovery. You know, so there was a lot of things that I used initially that helped me get well, and it just wasn't the 12 steps, right? That was a big right. part of it. But there was other things that I had to do in order to get well, right? That were part of my toolkit in terms of recovering. Right. Yeah, right. so yeah. true. I mean, and I think therapy, I think therapy gets overlooked. Oh, there's no um, doubt. You know, I really think that people got to dig deep and really try to get in tune with themselves as to why they started using in the first place and what that emotional, you know, vacancy is and where it comes from. And, and if you have it, you know, the best way to, to get well is to really find a really great therapist who specializes in a treatment modality that, you know, speaks to you, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy or mindfulness or 
whatever it may be, acceptance and commitment therapy. I mean, there's so many options out there that people can explore. And I think that I would say is probably the second half to, you know, what really, really got me to, to feel really solid in my recovery. Boom. Serious spiritual truth right there, Megan, because until I was able to address both my alcoholism and addiction as well as my mental health, I wasn't going to get well. That's right. It's just the bottom line. And because I found a therapist that I connected with, and I had tried therapy often before and found it ineffective. Mm-hmm. But I was fortunate to find a therapist at my treatment uh, at Hazelden that really connected with me and used used EMDR mm-hmm. to get me through some PTSD uh, uh, stuff that I really needed to work through in order to really recover. That's and right. so while working through the 12 steps, I was also working through a, uh, a fairly rigorous uh, a therapy uh, program and both of those worked in concert with each other in order for me to be able to get over the proverbial hump and, and it sounds Megan like really that's part of what your calling is yeah yeah and th- I would say so because now you know not only do I have this like kind of other lived experience of therapy really helping me now I'm now I'm practicing you know as a clinician as as a therapist and so I bring that to the table and you know we always say you know in, in the field because this is what the research says and, and, and I would I would say it's 100% valid it's like when all else fails when all of these different treatment modalities that you could employ fails what is the one thing that is the constant that really is the deciding factor as to whether or not somebody gets well in therapy and that's the therapeutic alliance that the client can have with that therapist and so if you can find somebody that speaks to you on your level that you can connect with and that you feel like you can be open and honest with and they validate it and they support you and challenge you where you need it and push you to do the work where your real work is that's where the magic happens in the therapy room and and really it it can be really life-changing for people it really can there's no doubt and it is work and i'm glad you used that word right it's work you have i had to be willing to do the the tough work to be able to go to places uh that i had been unwilling to go before uh, within in order to get through these uh, emotional disturbances that had really plagued me for uh, as long as you know drug and alcohol addiction had plagued me and uh, if I hadn't done that then you know one triggers the other right uh, mm-hmm. my addiction and alcoholism exacerbate my mental health and my mental health triggers my alcoholism and addiction right that's right. That's right. So in the comorbidity of, I used a $25 word right there. <laughs> the comorbidity of, of uh, a mental health diagnosis with addiction or alcoholism, you're 50% more likely. Absolutely. Right? So it's yep. extraordinarily common among the... Uh, uh, among our community 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the key about really digging deep and trying to figure out what those underlying reasons are. And sometimes it's more genetic for some people. Sometimes it's more, you know, mental health related for others. But, but like you're saying, you got to be willing to do the work. And I remember when I first met my first therapist when I was in high school and I, you know, I, I was so plagued with social anxiety. I couldn't even walk through the doors of my high school and like almost, you know, got kicked out of school because I wasn't showing up. It's like, and that therapist, I hated. I was like, oh my God, she knows nothing. This is terrible. And you know what? It's because I just wasn't ready to do the work that I needed to do at that time. And even years into my recovery, I was just doing kind of like talk therapy and just kind of going through the motions. It wasn't until last year that I found a therapist and I was willing to try to find a therapist that I knew had the skills to push me where I really needed to go because I still knew that there was some underlying work that that you know I needed to do on my mental health, and um, it's it's been it's been tremendous. But you know, my point in saying all that is like, just because you tried therapy once and it doesn't work, don't give up. Because right now you might be in a different place to receive that information and actually go forward with doing that real work. Yeah, that you may not have been the last time you tried it out. That's right, and you might be in a place where the work that needs to be done you're going to be able to do in a way that you've never been able to do it before. That's right. That's totally true. And so I absolutely, I'm a huge advocate of, uh, of therapy and of addressing mental health along with addressing uh, your addiction or your alcoholism or both. Tell me, Megan and Bob, What's it, but the experience been like in terms of the recovering community, your podcast, and what it's been like to recover out loud? Is uh, tell me about that experience. Well, my dad, I think, had reservations about starting this, right, Dan? Yeah, I did. I did. Well, you know, I, well, I had reservations about you coming out in because of your profession. I'm saying, will you ever be able to get a job? How will they look at you? And as far as my end goes, yeah, I was a little concerned about, you know, producers not not wanting to have me on set, you know, because, sure. you know, will I be able to get bonded? All kinds of things. The went stigma, my mind. the stigma of it. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah, but you know something, I I I I'm happy, you know, that Megan actually talked me into it, and uh, I don't feel like I have to hide anything anymore. I'm telling my stories. They are what they are. You know, my friends are still my friends, and. Uh, people, you know, seem to receive it well, and uh, I, I have no regrets, and and I don't think Megan has either, you know. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I was silent about my recovery really just up until last year, mm. and um, and that was had a lot to do with the fact that I was now in this mental health field, and and you know, I didn't identify with my peers as having people as being people that had the same lived experience as me, and so. I remember going to my mentors at school and saying, I want to come out about my story of recovery. And they actually advised me against it because of the stigma and because, you know, they're like, hey, we're open minded about this, but not everybody is. That's right. And I'm like, but but you know what? Thank you. Thanks. But no, thanks. I I can't keep the lid on this dark secret anymore. And what happened was, is it really started to impact my clinical work. You know, I was getting feedback from my supervisors that I, you know, really couldn't like receive feedback and I was guarded and like. It was just like this disconnect between them and I, and it was really creating a lot of tension and caused me a lot of turmoil and headaches throughout that training year. And I was like, I know what they're referring to. I know what this is. I am lying. I am being uh, deceitful in some way because I have this secret that nobody knows about that I hold on to with all of my might. And I know that that's what this is. And so I finally just said, you know what? 
I, I just, I have to do it. I just, I have to do it. It is what it is. Whatever people think and feel about me is none of my business. And it just, it's going to have to happen. And I came out and I said it in my clinical seminar class. And, and I will tell you, Charlie, I, all of those fears that I had about coming out with my story have not only just been put to rest, but uh, it's just been, the pendulum has just swung into the total opposite direction. I mean, I have gotten more opportunities to meet people, to connect with people, to network, to share my story on public platforms more than I could have ever imagined in my entire life. I'm meeting people all across the world. It's outstanding what can happen when you just can live your truth and, and just own it, really. No doubt about it. So well said, Megan. I think from my perspective, uh, the one of the biggest game changers for me in my life and in my recovery was when I made the decision that I was going to embrace my recovery fully. And I, in my professional life, in my personal life, uh, all phases of my life, I embrace my uh, my recovery. Mm-hmm. And there's not a person that I know that doesn't know that I'm in long-term recovery from addiction and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And that's been such an amazing experience to be able to finally live my yep. truth. Yep. yep. Finally yep. live my truth. Because in alcoholism addiction, I, it was Jekyll and Hyde. I had not even accepted myself right. as an addict or an alcoholic. Right? Exactly. Until I Until I surrendered and really was willing to do whatever it took to get better. I didn't even accept that I was an alcoholic or an addict, and I wasn't willing to. And that's yeah. a painful, and you guys know this, that's painful yeah. as hell. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, definitely is. You know, and, and one of our favorite podcast guests that have been on, on our show, Amy Dresner, she says, mm. you know, if we want to really break the stigma of addiction, we have to break the stigma of recovery. And, and we do that by having people with the story come out and speak. No doubt. And, th- and that's the power. That that's just- the power. And I love Amy. She's my gal. I love her to pieces. I had her on the Way Out podcast, and she was, uh, she was amazing. Uh, she lives her truth. Oh, uh, she is the best. Yeah, unapologetically awesome. lives her truth. And we need more of that. In sure do. recovery, and we need more of that recovering out loud. When I recover out loud, I have the chance to not only to continue to embrace my truth and to know that it's okay to be who I am. And I'm an addict, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm in long term recovery. That's and right. It's okay. And you know what? It's more than okay, it helps people when I refuse to be quiet about my recovery. Yep. And I gotta tell you, uh, because I do that, there's people that come to me, um, uh, friends from high school, uh, uh, former colleagues, that ask about how I got better. Yep. And they wouldn't know that if I wasn't as uh, out loud about my recovery. I don't push it on anybody and I never will. But I, I, I certainly don't hide from it. Mm-hmm. And that allows me the opportunity to be able to share my recovery with people I wouldn't otherwise be able to. And that's beautiful. Right. That is and beautiful. the truth is, is we never know what, what 
you know, life somebody is, is leading or walking. We, we don't know if they're struggling. We don't know if their children or family members or loved ones or spouses or partners are struggling. I mean, you know, being able to share your story out loud and, and people connect to that. I mean, imagine if those were people that were suffering in silence and now they get some knowledge from you about what you've done and provide them hope. I mean, that's the feedback that we get too. It's like, it's, it's, it's amazing. It really is. And, and you give back in ways that you don't even realize when, when you're just speaking your truth and it's, it's good stuff. No doubt about it. Megan and Bob, you have once again on the way out podcast, uh, uh, proven without a shadow of a doubt that there is a way out of addiction there is a way out of alcoholism and there's not just one way out of alcoholism and addiction so I want two thi- I want two things from each one of you before we uh, before we sign off yeah. <clears throat> number one uh, we'll start with Megan Megan uh, give me a book that you have read that uh, had uh, the greatest impact on you in your recovery? Oh, man. Well, I read a lot of books now for school. Um, I'm just getting started on one by Lisa Feldman Barrett called How Emotions Are Made. Um, but I will say, you know, when in the depths of my addiction, you know, I was reading a lot of different books, and, and I was actually talking about this with somebody, somebody the other day, but The Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six was... A fantastic book, and it was entertaining, and it really got me to start thinking about, wow, this guy's led this wild life, and I don't know, maybe there's something in it for me too. So I, I, that's the one that really sticks out to me. The Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six, I love it. If you could give one piece of wisdom to the alcoholic or addict that is still suffering, what would it be? Oh man, um, you know. I know it's going to sound cliche, but really don't lose hope. I mean, don't don't let that that visceral feeling of hopelessness dictate how the rest of your life is going to go. And, you know, just just remember the drugs and the alcohol is always going to be there. You know, you, at least you could do is um, give yourself a fair shot and, and maybe listen to the people around you that are telling you that this thing called recovery is actually worth it. Because if they're wrong, you can always go back to the life that you've led. But the least you could do is give yourself a fair shot of what you actually deserve. And that's the real happiness and the peace and the relief that actually comes with recovery. I love that, Megan. Uh, Joe and Charlie, who are like, you know, uh, responsible in large measure for me even being able to understand the 12 steps, uh, said that very same thing. They said, you're responsible for judging the result, not the process. You can always go back to drinking. You know what that's like. You can always go back to drugs. They're not going anywhere right that's so right give this a fair shake and if it and you know what if it doesn't work for you you know where the drugs are you know where the alcohol is you know where that stuff is you could always go back right so right. i love that i love that uh, so bob yes i want you to share one piece of literature one book one one something that really uh, made a difference for you in your recovery i'll tell you I'll tell you the book that changed my life was called Into the Light. It was written by, oh, I know I found the Dr. Organizov, a Russian doctor, in there, and I think it was written by, it, it, I can't think of his name at the top of my head, but it had to do with alternative medical treatments. At the time, I had hep C, so I, I learned about these methods to uh, for treatment that they were using in the 40s in Russia about treating hep C with... Um, with ozone treatments and anyway to make a long story short I found this 
Dr. Organisov, who was within 10 miles of me. I went to him for a year and a half, and I got all kinds of ozone treatments, vitamin C drips, chelation, uh, you name it, UBI treatments, ultraviolet, blood irradiation. Anyway, he got, I got my energy level up to a point where I actually went out and dug the cellar of my barn out by hand. That's a pretty big barn and poured a foundation. I had energy up the yang yang and I, I, I felt like a million dollars. I woke up early in the morning, bright eyed, and, and it that really helped me to to not want to get high because I was on a natural high just from doing all these alternative methods. And I tell people if there was a pill that you could take that would give you the feeling that someone has that's in real good physical condition, it would be the best high in the world because that was my high and that really, really set me on a path to want to be healthy. And since then, I've been on all the, the uh, you know, I do all the herbs, I do anything that the greens, I, I, you know, I live healthy. And I think that helps me, uh, you know, it, Mental clarity. The mental yeah, you, clarity. It's perfect. And I don't it's, you, you and Tom Brady, I think. Both. Exactly. Right. Tom Brady is the man. TB12. TB12, baby. That's right. He's it's living clean. I've been clean. on his diet. I've been on his the purple carrot. All the vegetable. Megan got me on it a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. Uh, so, and Bob, tell me what you would tell the addict or alcoholic that is still suffering what would you say to them you know I would say there's a way out you have to find it and you're not gonna find it by getting high every day and, and, and numbing your brain you know you have to start trying to figure it out what what is it that's gonna work for me you're gonna have to try different things that are gonna work that are not gonna work and not give up and keep trying them until you find the right one but you have to be determined you have to be willing to, you know, to to suffer a little. You have to be willing to, to put in the hard work. Find out what is it that you really, really, you know, you really enjoy. Maybe that can lead you off into that, to the right road, you know. But, but you have to, you know, you can't be getting totally wasted every day and still find it. You have to try, you know, maybe not get as high tomorrow. Maybe just, just. Use enough to to get by. You know, wean yourself down. You don't have to get totally wasted every day. Just do enough so you don't get sick. And a little less, and a little less. And maybe you'll get the mental clarity to find the way out. I don't know what else to say. I, I don't know if there's anything I can say, really, to... I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Because, you know, what ultimately... Uh, um, when you uh, decide that uh, uh, you have enough honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to do something different, then you open yourself up to change. That's right. So one of the things that you could do if you're a, a faithful Way Out podcast listener is add a new podcast to your uh, podcast diet called the Addictionary. That would probably add. <laughs> that would probably add to the quality of your recovery. It just, I, I'm, I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? You know. That's the whole. You yeah. got it, Charlie. I like that. Yeah. Says. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, the the Addictionary has the official Way Out podcast endorsement. So 
uh, Run Don't Walk yeah, to your nearest uh, uh, podcast uh, source and uh, subscribe to The Addictionary and listen to the experience, strength, and hope of Megan and Bob and uh, a cavalcade of uh, callers also sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Yeah? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Tyler, let's do a little swaparoo and have you come on our show. I'm on it. I'm in. You tell me. You name the time, and I'm on. I'd love to be on the Addictionary podcast um, and uh, share some uh, uh, share some experience, strength, and hope. Megan, Bob, thank you so much for your time and being on the Way Out podcast. I can't thank you enough. Thank, thank you, Charlie. Yeah, thank this you has been very great. much. Thank you for being a part of the Way Out where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety day will.